Welcome to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. It's good to be with you today. Uh, David, i got to tell you, the garden's looking great. Uh, garden update today. The uh, greenhouse has got tomatoes on the green on the tomato plants and uh, peppers on the pepper plants. And I've eaten strawberries still from my greenhouse. And, Is it uh, too late to plant? Uh, no, no, absolutely not. It's, um, I'm going to go... I'm Although gonna, summer apparently starts this week uh, in the nineties, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Uh, I'm going to go and buy some flowering uh, tomatoes. Oh, got, yeah. Go ahead, and I'm going to buy bite the bullet and buy some big ones. And you know, the reality is, you can't kill a tomato plant. So, um, in fact, you can probably break off branches and stick those in the ground, and they'll they'll grow. Well, I'm just like so far weird. behind. But Not too late to plant. In fact, I planted, and uh, I have had. Uh, about I had about ninety uh, that I rose from seed, and uh, I finally planted those this last weekend. Uh, peppers and tomatoes, and I've got some great peppers that I brought back from Peru. Uh, super, super, super hot peppers. So kind of excited to see how those come out. Uh, and my, if you know, it's like hot, David. Like habaneros are for wimps. These are these are like turn your eyeballs to blood okay. kind of thing. Now, you know? can you really eat those? Uh, I mean, well, you, 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 you personally. Well, I don't eat the peppers. I mean, you, you shave them off, and you use as you know, you use as flavoring to you know make something more spicy. And they all have unique kind of flavors to them. But uh. you know what I've found uh, in the past? We've had some pretty hot uh, peppers, uh, uh, jalapenos, and so forth. But I, I was reading online a couple of years ago, and it works. Is uh, you can cool them down. By soaking them in some ice water, put mm-hmm. ice and, and water, and you can cool them that way. Yeah, yeah. Don't drink the water afterwards. Though. No, and I wouldn't even touch the water to your eyes or any sensitive part of your oh, body. Oh no. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So it's uh, the garden's doing well. Uh, I wish I could say the same thing about you at the United States of America, but uh, uh, we'll see how much damage President Trump has done this week to our uh, to our great country. Uh, I, I got to tell you, I spent um, a lot of the morning. I exercise this morning, and I always watch uh, Morning Joe in the morning because I like to get my Republicans uh, uh, tell me what's going on. And uh, they had a show basically of Republicans today, all commenting on Mr. Trump's most recent disclosure of national security information to the Russians. Um, I got to tell you, I don't know what's going on there, but I would hope somebody would step in. Uh, in the administration and say, oh my gosh, dude, really? Uh, you're president, not God. Uh, you, this is a really bad thing that you're doing here. Uh, Matt, I, can say I is understood that Mattis was there and he said that it didn't happen. No, no, no. You have to listen to what they said. Yeah, no, Mattis wasn't there. It was Tillerson was there. Tillerson and McMaster's. Maybe it was McMaster's. It wasn't Mattis. Maybe wasn't wasn't there. Okay, maybe I don't think Mattis spends a lot of time at the White House, from <laughs> what I can tell. Uh you have to listen to what they said and because they parse their statements compared to what the article said. Because the article basically says what Trump told them was sufficient information that they could glean what the source was coming from. So what the concern was, the source of the information is not the United States of America. It's an ally source. And the, the problem was they disclosed, he disclosed the not the ally or the source, but enough information you could glean what it was. And if you look at what McMaster's and Tillerson both said, they didn't deny that happened. They denied that he disclosed sources, which he didn't disclose sources. It's the information that could get them to the source that's the problem. It's a very particularized statement. But here's the funny part, David. I was listening to Republicans talk about like like this. 
Uh, not Democrat. They didn't even have a Democrat on this morning that I could tell. Uh, this is really concerning to people. Uh, and uh, one thing I have learned from this administration, David, is they will literally lie to your face. Uh, and then just, oh, yeah, well, yeah, well, that was the best information we had at the time. You know, like lying about, you know, the Comey meeting, getting, getting the, the, the vice president of the United States to lie to Congress seven times, and then Trump sending out a tweet the next day or talking in an interview the next day. Yeah, that was not true. I fired Comey because he was doing too much on the Russian investigation. It's crazy stuff, David. I got to tell you, I, uh, I'm not really concerned about, about Trump lasting four years. I'm concerned about America lasting four years. This is this this could be uh, uh, this could be very difficult. This could be very difficult. Um, so, David, what I want to talk about today is immigration, though, because a big thing happened in immigration this last week, which really comes out of the Trump administration's statements on immigration uh, and how they talk about immigrants and how uh, Trump has changed enforcement priorities in previous. Shows we've talked about Trump's enforcement priority, which is basically deport everybody, one, who is not documented, two, deport anybody who commits a crime, not that they're convicted of it, but who commits a crime, uh, and uh, three, uh, deport anybody else that even if they're legal, they get convicted of a crime. So they just really want to deport, deport everybody kind of theory. Um, Many people listening to the show have heard of the case of Jessica Colote. Jessica is a uh, wonderful young woman, now 29 years old, uh, who first came into the focus of the United States in Georgia back in 2010 uh, when she was arrested in Cobb County on the campus of Kennesaw State University uh, under the charge of impeding the flow of traffic, and then they arrested her for not having a license. Uh, Jessica was attending Kennesaw State University at the time, uh, paying in-state tuition at, because she'd started college before any rule change, and so she was entitled to keep paying that, uh, at least the university thought. Uh, and uh, she ended up spending about 38 days in jail, including uh, obtaining from the immigration court uh, a voluntary departure request from through a different lawyer uh, who thought that by taking voluntary departure he could get her out uh, and uh, therefore she would be done. But her sorority sisters did a remarkable job protesting, organizing protests, helping her, and ultimately uh, we were able to come on and help, and we ultimately ended up getting Jessica uh, not only a stay of removal uh, so she could finish college, but ultimately ultimately uh, a work permit so she could be here in some sort of um, quasi-status in 2011. So she was arrested on campus for this, she ultimately went to trial on this. If you want to believe it, Dave, she went to trial on this, and she was acquitted of impeding the flow of traffic, but convicted on having a driver's license, no driver's license, which she didn't have. Um, but then she was arrested again. When she was arrested the first time, David, when she was booked, they wrote down, they took her registration from the car, and they used that, that address on her registration, which was her parents' vehicle, uh, to put her address in the system. Uh, that address was one that she was living at, but had moved from, uh, but it, she never gave the police an address. They literally just took it from the registration. 
Ultimately, the Cobb County Sheriff, after seeing that Jessica got out, decided to charge her with giving a false statement to the police. That false statement is the address. Uh, now, the question is, how did Cobb County police find out that address was no good, that they should, that they'd moved from there? Uh, apparently, a reporter from a local newspaper had tried to contact Jessica and had gone to that address. And it appears a reporter disclosed that information to the sheriff, who apparently, in a, in a peak of, uh, of, uh, of uh, retribution, decided to bring charges against her and arrest her for that charge. So the, the case goes to the prosecutor in 2011. The prosecutor realizes um, there is he's not going to win this case. Uh, Jessica realized doesn't want to go back to trial again. She's already been through a trial. It's a, you know anybody who's been through a trial knows how debilitating and difficult that is. She's in the middle of school. She's trying to finish college. Uh, so she and the prosecutor, for mutual benefit, enter into an agreement called a pretrial diversion agreement. This is an agreement between somebody who's accused of a crime and the prosecutor. And David, these types of things happen dozens of times a day in every jurisdiction of the country. Can you imagine, David, if everybody went to trial? Our, our justice system would literally collapse. It would literally collapse. We, we, we aren't designed to try every criminal case, which is why plea agreements and pretrial diversion agreements are such an essential part. Now, in Cobb County, the pretrial diversion agreement has within it uh, a statement at the time that said um, to the effect uh, that uh, if, uh, if I, you know, Jessica, violate the terms of this agreement, uh, then I agree to plead guilty and then I'm guilty of these charges. Uh, but only in the condition that if she's violated the agreement. Now, the agreement was on her part, she had to do some community service, but it was really designed to get rid of it. Nobody wanted to go to trial. Nobody wanted further publicity from this. Jessica didn't want the, the nightmare that comes from doing a trial. The prosecutor probably didn't want to look bad when he lost his case again. Um, and so this agreement's entered into. That agreement, David, is then given to ICE as part of her uh, uh, staying here, an authorized stay in the United States, which they extended in, in 2011. Uh, they knew about this back in 2011. And then when President Obama created DACA, uh, DACA uh, required, asked this question, Do you, uh, have you been arrested for any reason? And she disclosed all her arrests and included a copy of the pretrial diversion agreement. Now, David, what's important about this pretrial diversion agreement is that it is an agreement only between the prosecutor and the government. I mean, and, and the individual. It's not judge. So the the, court, the judge had to terminate uh, her case uh, when the prosecutor came in and said, uh, hey, uh, we're not going to pursue charges here. We've reached an agreement. Thank you, judge. And the judge dismissed the case. The judge was not happy about this. Um, in fact, uh, she had recalendered the case when it was on a dead docket um, and uh, was clearly very interested in the political aspects of this case. But she ended up having to terminate the case, dismiss it, because the prosecutor dismissed it under this pretrial diversion agreement. Uh, now, why is this important today? Why, why is Jessica in issues today? Well, let's now fast forward to 2016. Jessica receives DACA in the spring of 2013. Uh, which is renewed in the spring of 2015 and is due for renewal in the spring of 2017. Uh, her DACA uh, extension filing was filed in December of 2016, six months before she could file, as, as all good DACA kids put in around that time frame. Uh, at that point, David, uh, it gets, this gets very interesting. 
Last year, Jessica's parents had left the United States uh, for family reasons. It was uh, very difficult issues in their family. They went back to Mexico, uh, her mom and dad. Her mom became very sick last year. And people with DACA uh, have a right to ask for a travel document uh, for family emergencies. So Jessica uh, began the process of securing a travel document uh, to go see her mom. But because Jessica had this prior order of deportation, she couldn't leave the country with this travel document. Uh, so last year, we filed a motion to reopen her deportation case uh, so that she could use her travel document to go see her sick mom. You know, standard issue, we've done this many times before, it's not a big deal. We knew the judge would deny it, but we had confidence that maybe we could win it on appeal. Sure enough, Judge Pelletier denies her motion to reopen, uh, and we've appealed to the Board of Immigration Appeals, and they reopened the case, as we hoped that they would. Uh, but instead of the Board of Immigration Appeals then just closing the case and saying, okay, go travel, they sent the case back to Judge Pelletier. Uh, in his and uh, in December of 2016, uh, a hearing date was set uh, with the judge uh, because we had filed a motion to uh, terminate her case or, in the alternative, administratively close her case, and we had a hearing with the judge in uh, in January, around January, I think it was 12th or 13th or something like that. It was like a, I think it was a Friday. Uh, and uh, so we got to court that day. I actually was in court that day. I was the lawyer representing Jessica that day. I said, Judge, we're here for the motion to terminate. Uh, well, what's the purpose of the termination? I said, Judge, the Board of Immigration Appeals has ordered you to terminate the case. She has DACA. She has no valid reason to have a deportation order, and she's going to travel. She has a travel document that's good until February uh, uh, for her to travel, middle of February. Uh, so please terminate the case. Well, government, what's your position? The government says we oppose. The government opposed the motion to reopen previously. We oppose. Well, why do you oppose? It was a new lawyer, and he says, oh, I don't, have, uh, I don't have my file. Okay, well, I'm going to give you, the judge said, until early next week, Wednesday next week, to file a written opposition. And then, Mr. Cook, I commit to you that I will make a decision on the motion to terminate by next Friday. Now, on next, next Friday. Now, the next Friday, by the way, was Trump's inauguration day. Let's take a break here on Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. We'll be right back. Si usted ha casado con un ciudadano o tiene problemas con inmigración o tiene una oferta de trabajo, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Con más de 100 años de experiencia en la ley de inmigración, conocemos la ley y sabemos cómo ayudarle. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611, o visítenos al www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with E-Verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200, or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. This is the Immigration Hour, uh, possibly the most listened to podcast in the known universe. Is that? Not, uh, not. 
on immigration. On immigration, on immigration, of course. Yeah, that it is. Could be. It's up there. Uh, you know. I want to thank our listeners for listening. So, David, I was talking about the Jessica case. So, Judge Pelletier said, well, I'll make a decision on your motion to terminate next Friday. Trump's not. Now, what did Trump promise to do on his first day in office? Kick everybody, Kick everybody out, right? And terminate DACA. So, he's probably thinking, oh, well, you know, DACA will be over and the case is over. And, you know, we were concerned about that, but we figured out, well, you know, it is what it is. You can't fight it. So uh, the government on that following Wednesday files their brief, and it basically says, yeah, whatever the court wants to do. You know, we've made our arguments, you decide. Okay, just kind of a non-response response. If they just said that in court the previous Friday, the case would have been over. So Friday comes, and we're, okay, great. Nothing. Nothing. The following Friday, now Trump now does not, not eliminate DACA. The following Friday, nothing. The following Friday, nothing. Till today, David, uh, five months later, nothing, nothing at all. No decision from the court on our motion to terminate. Now, here's where it gets really interesting, David. In the middle of March, the government files a supplemental response to our motion to terminate, which says two things. One, hey, she no longer has a travel document, which is irrelevant because you can get one easy enough. That's not a big deal. Um... And two, she's a convicted criminal, a convicted felon, and is a priority under Donald Trump's new deportation priorities. And we're like, what? She's not a convicted felon. She has a misdemeanor conviction for driving without a license. She has no other conviction for a felony. So we respond to that in writing and we say, uh, no, uh, we'll apply for a new travel document as soon as the court dismisses the case. And yeah, no, you're wrong. And then we don't hear anything else. So, and we call the court. Hey, what's going on? Nothing. Nothing in the court. Uh, on the 29th or 28th of April, whatever that Thursday was, Jessica's been checking her DACA and uh, renewal. And it appears online your DACA renewal has been denied. Huh? Well... We called up and they don't have a response. I can't. They don't tell you why online, and they don't tell you why on the phone. And so, okay, well, you know, we'll see what we're going to do here. That's weird. On Monday, we receive in the mail a second supplemental response by the government, which says you need to you need to order her deported because she is a convi- she has a conviction for a felony. She's a priority for deportation, and her DACA has been revoked. And they attach to their uh, supplemental motion or their brief her revocation notice from USCIS, which simply says, we're revoking your DACA because you're a priority for removal under Trump's new order. Huh? We're like, this doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So, David, on Tuesday, uh, uh, I actually uh, was in court. We were actually preparing, and we filed... Couldn't talk about it last week, but we filed our a complaint in federal court uh, seeking injunctive relief uh, and, and declaratory judgment uh, against the government for their revocation of DACA, although we still didn't know why. We didn't know why they revoked it. We suspected, we began to suspect why, but we didn't know why. It was just really unclear. Couldn't figure it out. Why do they think that the driving a license is a problem? It just None, none of this made sense. So DACA is discretionary. As any lawyer listens, well, DACA, they can do whatever they want. Well, they can't do whatever they want. I mean, despite what Donald Trump says, you don't get to do whatever you want. 
under discretion. You cannot exercise your discretion in an arbitrary and capricious manner. You can't just say, whatever, you know, you're denied, death to you, thumbs down, let the lions eat you. You can't do that. And you can't also deviate from your process for exercising discretion without going through the rulemaking process. I mean, it's a violation of the APA. So we sued in federal court. <clears throat> in response to the lawsuit uh, and the ensuing publicity around this, ICE released a statement to the press. Now, here's interesting, David. You know, a lot of times, like the, there was a kid recently, uh, just a couple of days ago, committed suicide in uh, the Stewart Detention Center. Oh, we can't release any information. Well, you know what? <clears throat> they didn't take that position with Jessica. They released information. And, uh, sorry, here's what they said. They said, Jessica has a conviction under immigration law for giving a false statement to police. That's what they said. This is in their press statement. David, that's simply a lie. It's a, it's a lie. And here, here's why it's a lie. Now, I, I'm not going to say it's an error because it's not an error because it's clearly, it became clear when they gave that statement that ICE lawyers had been in contact with USCIS adjudicators to convince them that Jessica had a conviction. And that is the only reason they would have revoked her DACA and denied her extension. Now, here's what's really interesting. We are now almost two and a half weeks after the online denial, and we still, to this day, do not have the denial notice for the extension. Jessica has had a congressman intervene and a congressman has been told we don't have a copy of that denial from the USCIS who denied the case there's something very 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 fishy going on here David very fishy and very a lot of subterfuge but here's what the government is saying and so in in their press release uh, and reporters well they actually even gave a citation to why she has a conviction and so I asked the reporter did you bother reading the citation? No. Well, I tell you what, why don't you go read it and then you call me back? So he went and read it and called back because I don't think she has a conviction. He said, No, she doesn't have a conviction. Because here's what a conviction is. Now, in the real world, David, you know what a conviction is. You go to the jury trial or you plead guilty, that's a conviction, right? That's not a conviction under immigration terms. It's not the only type of conviction. So when Congress changed the law back in 1996, they wrote this. The term, quote, conviction, close quote, means, with respect to an alien, that's a foreign national who's not a citizen, a formal judgment of guilt of the alien entered by the court, okay, that means a plea or a, or a jury trial, okay, or if the adjudication of guilt has been withheld, where, one, a judge or jury has found the alien guilty or... The alien has entered a plea of guilty, or nolo contendere, or has admitted sufficient facts to warrant a finding of guilt. And the judge has ordered some form of punishment, penalty, or restraint on liberty. The government spokesman is saying that Jessica's pretrial diversion agreement is a conviction under 10148A. Even you, David, are going, no, that's not a conviction because it wasn't in front of a judge. I mean, this is not, 
an area of law which is hard to understand. ICE is lying. For what reason? Maybe they were upset that they lost the appeal. Maybe they're upset that Jessica's going to be able to see her family. I don't know what their problem is. But they picked on one of the nicest human beings that I know. No, not you, David. Sorry. Uh, Jessica is really one of the sweetest, kindest people I know who does nothing for service. You know, David, a few years ago, my partner's wife had leukemia. Do you know Jessica organized a drive to get bone marrow donors for that? One of my other partner's uh, parents died earlier this year. They had a wake or late on a Sunday night over in Cobb County. Jessica doesn't live in Cobb County, even close as you can imagine. She came by herself to pay her respects. Jessica is just a sweet, kind person, always thinking of somebody else. And, and honestly, they picked on the wrong person because she also has a will of steel. And she's not going to take this lying down. It's, just, it's morally wrong what they're doing here. Because if they, if they can use this as a basis to take da, ja, Jessica's dock away, which is, by the way, a complete change in policy, because they've had these documents since they were signed in 2011. There's nothing, nothing new happened here. Yes, they have revoked DACA for people who commit crimes after they get DACA, as well they should. I mean, you shouldn't be able to keep DACA if you commit crime. I get that. But they're going back and saying, we're changing our mind. But their mind is based upon a wildly incorrect misinterpretation of the law. So there's something else going on here, David. Uh, and that's what I spent last, this last week doing. Um, we are about to file an amended complaint uh, with some other grounds uh, of, of action. Uh, and then we'll be speak, seeking a, a temporary restraining order uh, from, the government, from the judge in this case. Uh, but this has been, it's just stunning to me. Uh, that uh, once again, DACA is under the death by a thousand cuts process. In, we have it in Seattle where they, where they accuse a kid of being in a gang who was never in a gang to cover up the mistake of two ICE deportation officers who picked him up. You got the case in, in, in Southern California where you have a you know, dispute between the kid who was deported by ICE, I mean by CBP, the Border Patrol, who's, who, who's had DACA, CBP saying, well, he left on his own, and the kid's saying, no, you deported me, and I told you I had DACA. And, you know, now he's stuck in Mexico. Uh, you, you, you've got these actions by some rogue agents who know this, and this is where it goes back to Trump. If these things had happened under Obama, what would have happened to those people, the agents who did this stuff? And probably wouldn't have been fired, but they certainly would have been reprimanded. Maybe they would have been moved. See, there is no punishment under Trump for mistreating immigrants. There's, no, there's literally no fear in doing whatever you want to do to immigrants uh, under Trump. Because he knows, they know that he has their back, no matter how bad it is. The people that he has put into place in these various agencies like ICE. Uh, and you know what's sad about this is I, I, have, I have friends that are ICE agents that are good agents, good people. And it's not these people, not those agents that are doing this stuff. It's other rogue people within the agency that are literally carrying out what they perceive to be Donald Trump's deport them all philosophy, when at the same time Donald's saying, oh, DACA kids have nothing to worry about. Now, I, I actually do believe that DACA kids that have nothing in their background should apply for DACA and renewals. I think it's, it's an appropriate form of relief. 
But to do this in a situation like this, where Jessica is now had to quit work because they revoked her work permit. So Jessica, she's been working for me for the last six years as a paralegal. Her clients that she works with love her. Uh, she's super diligent, super responsive, does great work. Um, she can't work. She can't drive because driver's license is based upon a work permit, which she no longer has. Uh, so basically, she's holed up, you know. Uh, and uh, we are we will keep fighting for her. If you want to support Jessica, I would encourage you. There's going to be a march this Saturday, David, uh, downtown. Details to follow. Uh, in support of Jessica and uh, to let her know what we, that we care and that we're out here to, for her. Let's take our next break here on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Soy Charles Cook, el jefe del grupo de abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Estoy en su lado. Con más de 20 años de experiencia con la ley de inmigración, conozco cómo ayudarle. Sé la ley y sé que alguna gente podemos ayudar. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611. A las 404-816-8611. O visítenos en el internet. www.immigration.net Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. So that's uh, that's what's going on this week. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Uh, so pray for Jessica. Um, she could use your prayer. She's got good legal help. We're being assisted by, by some groups on this, and it's. Uh, I, I feel confident that uh, we can prevail. Nobody's really brought a real lawsuit on DACA, a DACA denial based upon discretion. Uh, this is really the first time in the United States, and uh, it's going to be a very interesting um, process as we go forward. Uh, we've been assigned an excellent judge in federal court, and I think that... Uh, we have a real ch- a real shot here about uh, about getting her back back to DACA status. I certainly want her back at the office. She's just a, just a great person to have around. And uh, but think about this is a, this is a very chilling effect. This, if people hear this and go, "What, Jessica? Uh, she's so nice." And what, what are they picking on her for? If they can pick on her, why wouldn't they pick on me? Maybe I won't renew my DACA. I mean, uh, there's there's just something going on, David. It's just that we don't we're not party to. Unless it's something simple as revenge or vengeance or, or retribution of some kind. Maybe there's something just darker that's part of this. Um, the Trump administration certainly hasn't been completely upfront with everybody on, on immigration issues and what they feel about these things and how, uh, how they're really going to work. So I, uh, I just look at this and I think, wow, there is going to be a lot of stuff going on here. A lot of stuff going on here. Uh, I am uh, 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 looking forward to seeing what else comes out of the immigration area with Trump. Now, one thing that actually hit the news last week, David, is the new – There's, uh, you know what an ombudsman is? An ombudsman 
is somebody who works for the government, but whose job it is to advocate for people using the services of the government, an ombudsman. Um, so they're a public employee, but they, they answered not to the government, but to the employees. So uh, back in 2000 and, oh, got to be one, uh, the, when, when DHS was created, well, the, 2003, DHS was created. They created an office of the ombudsman at USCIS uh, to advocate for immigrants in front of the agency when the agency does stupid stuff and bad stuff and hurts people or delays stuff or makes wrong decisions and wrong, wrong ideas and wrong processes. Um, the most recent ombudsman, uh, Maria Odom, was one of my, my former law partner. Uh, she did a great job. Uh, she worked really hard uh, both at advocating for change within CIS on processes and procedures for certain things uh, to make things easier on, on both on the government and the foreign national. Uh, she also did individual case uh, um, uh, uh, assistance for people and helped thousands and thousands of people fix their situation with immigration. Immigration makes lots of errors. I hate to think what their error rate is, but it's got to be really high. But, but she was a political appointee, and so she's gone. Um, the new ombudsman is the former executive director of the Federation for American Immigration Reform, the, one of the leading anti-immigration groups in the United States, which advocates for zero immigration levels to America. She is the new ombudsman for the Immigration Service. David, you're laughing. <laughs> that doesn't surprise you, does it? A little uh, hypocrisy there. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and what would you expect that person to do for immigrants as the ombudsman? Zero, exactly. So the Congressional Hispanic Caucus has called for her firing or her resignation immediately. Uh, I thought the position was congressionally confirmed, but apparently it's not. Trump just appointed her, and she's serving in the position. I, I, I don't know why I thought it was congressionally confirmed, but it's not, although it is a senior executive position within the government. Uh, so she has been now in place for a week or so. Uh, I have um, I know people who work in that agency, uh, and uh, I can tell you they are not a happy group of employees. They are not a happy group of employees. It's going to be very interesting to see what ends up happening with the ombudsman's office. Maria really resuscitated the office. It was essentially dead. Uh, essentially had really done no effective work in a, in a large scale. And Maria really turned that around uh, as a process. Um, uh, and uh, I, I, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. I'm, the Congressional Black Caucus is going to be, uh, the Congressional Hispanic Caucus is not going to let this go. Uh, I imagine they're going to be advocating uh, much more aggressively uh, uh, the process um, and uh, how that works. Charles, I, you know, and we've never even, we've never talked about it per se that I can remember, but in your talking, I don't know what the percentage is, but extremely high. It's always uh, related to our southern border and basically Mexicans, Mexicans coming mm -hmm. across or whatever. But in like with Jessica's case, are there other cases that uh, is there an Irishman or a, or a New Zealander or 
you know, somebody else that's come into the states, uh, they could be under DACA as well. Correct? I know there are there are there are tens of thousands of people who aren't Mexicans, aren't Latinos that are yeah. that are in DACA. So, are they having? Is this your thing with Jessica? Is that unique uh, to Latinos? Or is, oh no, or no. It, I mean, they will literally cases like this happening to. Oh no, they they will pick on anybody. I mean, they anybody who has DACA that they feel should be gone, they they and committed quote a crime, they will go after. So it's not just a Latino issue. I mean, clearly not. Um, it's obvious that a big bulk of the DACA kids are Latinos. Uh, but because it's easier to bring a child across the border than it is to travel on an airplane and overstay. But there are plenty of visa overstays from Europe and from Africa and from Asia whose kids have DACA. Like one of my favorite was this young woman at Tech. Um, she was from Korea. She'd been brought here as a small child. Uh, she was at Tech uh, and, and, and was paying, she was like Jessica, she was paying in-state tuition. And the rules changed, and she couldn't afford to pay out-of-state tuition. She had to drop out of school. Um, but she had DACA and saved her money to go back. Uh, and uh, she had one year left at Tech. And because she had DACA and she was undocumented, they wouldn't let her finish. Because DACA kids can't go to any school who rejects U.S. citizens. She was a young Korean woman. Um, I mean, really talk about super frustrating and super bad and super evil and, and just not good for America kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, it's not just Latino kids. It's and that you know, it's a lot like with we always think of immigration. We think of Latinos. Well, if you talk about immigration in, in the nineteen teens, you wouldn't be talking about Latinos. You'd, you'd immediately think of Italians, or you'd think of the Irish, uh, or if you go back to the eighteen Puerto Ricans that came in. Well, they came in the in the fifties and sixties, um, and, and again, Puerto Ricans are American U.S. citizens. So it really, Dominicans, you probably what you're really yeah. referring to as immigrants. A lot of Dominicans came in in the seventies. Um, yeah, when we when we when we change our immigration laws uh, to allow immigration, because we actually shut off Latin America for forty years, fifty years from immigration. So we had this period from like nineteen early nineteen twenties till nineteen sixty five, forty years in which we had very little legal immigration to America. That's when my grandparents came, but we had very little legal immigration. They came from Northern Europe, uh, so we didn't see a lot of you know other color, non-white immigration to America. But when we changed that in 65, we began to see a lot of Dominicans coming in. Um, You know, Mexicans have always been there. You grew up in Texas, so they've always been on the border. Because, as you know, the border is very fluid, has always been a very fluid economy, very fluid familial situation. There are, quote, Mexicans in Texas that have been there for eight generations. You know, but they're, quote, Mexicans. but their heritage is, 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 is really in the United States over, over you know, 150 years. Uh, you've got such a real difference in that part of the country than you do in other parts. I mean, you know, one thing we've talked about over the years is that the reason that you're seeing a lot of anti-immigration stuff in states like Georgia is because immigration is new. And people are always afraid of the new. They're, they're, they, pe- people generally... And I love, it's actually a, a, you know, what I get from Men in Black. Uh, you know, uh, people, people, as, as Tommy Lee Jones says to Will Smith, people are stupid. And individuals, yeah, not a problem. But people are stupid. They overreact. They get, they get panicky. They, and that's what people's people see immigrants come in. And they go, oh, my gosh, you know, my kids, I got I to gotta press two to speak English. And um, their signs are in Spanish. And... Uh, you know, uh, I got to go to school with Latino kids, and they bought a house on the street for me. 
that that level of change for somebody who's never had it in their life triggers a panic. It triggers a reaction. Uh, it's, it's led to a rapid growth in the alt-right movement, the white supremacy movement, because it's new, it's different, uh, and people get panicky from that stuff. Uh, so, David, yeah, you look at DACA as, as a something that didn't just help Latino kids, although they're a big user of it. Uh, what I hope over, over, over the course of the next few months as we, as we fight this on Jessica's behalf, and I pray it's less than a few months, but as we fight this on her behalf, I think you're going to see a lot more other than Latino DACA kids come out and say, look, I am DACA too. Um, I just think it's going to be a very, um, a very long fight going forward. A very long fight going forward. Uh, and uh, especially as Trump implants the anti-legal immigration people in various agencies, like putting Julie Kirshner in charge of the Ombudsman's office, like putting people at DHS that have longtime employees of Jeff Sessions and his anti-immigration agenda, um, about putting people at DOJ who have a long history with with set, like Sessions of anti-legal immigration, not anti-illegal immigration, anti-legal immigration uh, sentiment and action putting people in at the Department of Labor uh, who feel the same way. All of these things are um, problematic in the context of, uh, of uh, the future flow and the future growth of the American economy. Some of the things we've seen, David, so far under Trump is we've seen the number of foreign students applying to come to the United States decline. We have seen tourism levels decline from abroad. And this is not an accident. This stuff is happening because of the way Trump speaks and because of how a uh, um, uh, uh, how the government reacts and treats people at the border. Uh, you may have heard there was a really excellent story today in, I don't know if it was the Times or uh, the New Yorker or some newspaper in New York about this... Um, uh, major from the U.S. military, and he's also a police officer in New York City. He just got back from a two-year deployment uh, in the Middle East in uh, dealing with ISIS issues, uh, and he took a vacation on his way home, and he went to the Netherlands and to Turkey, and he came back in at the airport in New York, and they detained him for six hours at the airport, questioning him about his trip. They knew he was a major in the U.S. military. They knew he was a New York police officer. And when he asked them why he was taking so long, they threatened to put him in a holding cell. This is the kind of thing that Trump encourages and breeds through the things that he says on immigration. Uh, and it, it's causing an extraordinarily amount, an extraordinary amount of consternation uh, as part of this, it's uh, uh, you know I, I don't even know how to say it uh, in a way uh, that makes um, uh, that can make any sense out of it, other than uh, the Trump campaign was run by and infil infiltrated by 
the anti-immigration movement in America, uh, the same movement that Karl Rove once said would never darken the doorstep of the White House, uh, are now working in the White House. Uh, and uh, because of that, uh, you're going to see major impact on our economy uh, and on job creation and on employee availability. Let's take our final break here on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Soy Charles Cook, abogado y jefe del grupo de abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Llámenos hoy si usted tiene problemas con inmigración, si ha sido arrestado, si se casó con un ciudadano o tiene una oferta de trabajo. Nosotros le podemos ayudar. También podemos explicar cómo, qué puedes hacer para recibir los beneficios de inmigración. Llámenos hoy a las 404-816-8611, 404-816-8611, o visítenos por el internet al www.immigration.net. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio, or as we call it, the Garden Update Week. Um, now, David, uh, there is... Um, a continued focus uh, by the Trump administration uh, on uh, something really interesting that's happening right now and really problematic. David, when I say the word Haiti to you, what do you think of? Haitians and uh, the disaster and uh, Clinton going down and saying he spent money that he didn't. Okay. Anyway. What, what do you know about Haiti today? Nothing. Great place honest. to visit. Wonderful place to live. I I don't think it's either of those. Yeah, it's probably not either. In fact, the country itself is in the midst of not only political and chaos, but it's an economic disaster. It's a societal disaster. Uh, about uh, when the hurricane you mentioned, first, you mentioned it was the hurricane, but you forgot the earthquake. Remember, it was the I think it was the earthquake first, and then the hurricane, or was it the hurricane and the earthquake? The yeah, it was just, it was just, really, it's like God saying, I hate you, Haiti. Uh, it was just a terrible series of events. As a result of that, President Obama said that Haitians were eligible for what's called TPS, Temporary Protected Status. Uh, that's a status that the President or DHS Secretary can give to people from certain countries in times of economic, uh, uh, in times of, of disaster for natural, uh, natural events like earthquakes or, uh, or wars. And we've had, you know, a dozen countries over the years that have had had TPS. Uh, current TPS countries include El Salvador and Honduras because of earthquakes and hurricanes uh, back in the early part of the 2000s. Uh, a few, a couple weeks ago, the Trump administration, through the USCIS, was recommending that the secretary not renew doc, uh, TPS for Haitians. Uh, this would be a monumental disaster for the tens of thousands of Haitians in the United States who 
can legally stay here, have a legal status under TPS, who support their families here and likely send hundreds of millions, not billion dollars to Haiti uh, every single year to help rebuild that country. I can't imagine uh, that uh, the Trump administration, well, I can't imagine it, but I, I, I feel troubled that the Trump administration would even consider taking TPS uh, away from, from Haitians uh, when essentially nothing, you mentioned Bill Clinton giving money there and said he didn't really give, um, when, when literally the country is just in terrible shape. It is just, it's awful uh, about what's going on here. Uh, and uh, I, I don't know if, if Kelly, who appears to have bought into the uh, anti-legal immigration uh, line, hook, line, and sinker, or is intentionally ignorant of who these people are, um, he may very well end the TPS program. Um, and it is uh, uh, it's problematic because if they're going to cancel TPS for Haitians, the bigger concern is that they'll cancel it for Hondurans, Nicaraguans, and Salvadorans. Um, and that's 200,000 people uh, who provide lifeblood and support to the economy of those countries because many of them send money back to those countries. Now, the Haitian TPS currently expires July 22nd. Uh, they usually announce renewals about 60 days beforehand. So we should know in the next 60 days whether or not they're going to renew it or whether they're going to cancel TPS, uh, which is going to be just... I mean, really terrible, really a terrible thing. Um, now, DHS says that Kelly hasn't made a decision, and he's reviewing reports from his staff about conditions in Haiti. But all you got to do is look on the internet. What reports? I mean, the place is just a literal hellhole. Um, but this is what happens when you staff the DHS with immigration hardliners and extremists. Then you put a retired general to the front for the operation in an attempt to make it seem normal. That's a quote from Frank Sherry of America's uh, Voice Education Front. Um, it is still has the effects of the earthquake. They have cholera epidemic, had the hurricane, food insecurity. I mean, there's, there's literally nothing in the country that works. But uh, and, and, you know, you. You can't blame us for not trying when the corruption in Haiti. No, no, I mean absolutely. I'm not saying Haiti's government is like doing their. They're doing squat. Um, they're doing absolutely squat on this. What was it, baby? You something or what was baby dog? Well, that's, that, they've been dead a long time. Yeah, they, but I mean he was, uh, he was as corrupt as you can get. Oh no, he was. Just, you know, he was. Well, he was evil. I mean, he he was just an evil. It just kept going though. Yeah. Corruption has never left their government. Yeah, well, and that's part of the problem now. I mean, they, they they literally don't have a functional government. And yet, you want to deport people back to a country in which their their risk of dying is high, um, their risk of economic catastrophe is high, and you know it's. Um, I mean, it's just in terrible shape. I mean, it's just in terrible shape. Um, uh, I, even in tons of faith-based groups are out there advocating for this. Uh, you know, they had, a, they had a hurricane in October last year. They got hit again by another hurricane. It's, you know, what's weird is, you know, it, it's, it shares the island of Hispaniola with Dominican Republic, who never seems to get hit by stuff. You know, isn't it's just Haiti's just completely 
blasted all the time. I, it's, I, I just can't believe the Trump administration would even consider this in light of all the other terribly bad publicity they get. Um, and uh, I, I, I would hope that uh, Kelly would extend TPS. Now, if he doesn't extend the TPS, we have lots of, lots of people that we know have TPS from El Salvador and Honduras. Uh, that would, if, if they can make the case that Haiti is a, uh, a, a paradise that you can deport people to, uh, well then, El Salvador and Honduras are in much better physical and financial shape than Haiti, then you've got a big problem. Then you've got a big problem. And what's, what you're going to do, David, uh, some of those people have deportation orders and they can be deported, but many don't have deportation orders. That means you've got to put more people into the deportation system, a system which right now is literally on the very edge of collapse, uh, the very edge of collapse. And um, it is... Uh, 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 something that uh, is uh, really problematic. I want to uh, finally. I want to finish up my 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 show today by asking my listeners to uh, go to a website called immigrationcourtside.com. Immigrationcourtside.com is the website of Paul Schmidt, who is the former chair of the. Uh, Board of Immigration Appeals, uh, retired U.S. immigration judge. And on his, on his website, at immigrationcourtside.com, uh, is his uh, keynote address to the uh, immigration law conference of the Federal Bar Association from last week. Honestly, David, this is a great read. For even people who aren't involved with immigration, uh, it's a great read because... Not only does it give you kind of a history of the immigration court system and uh, some of the things that are going on, he, he also um, uh, really digs deep into some of the problems in our current day system. For example, he said this, a de- Nearly a decade has passed since Professors Andy Schoenholtz and Phil Schrag and Jaya Ramji Nogales published their seminal work, Refugee Roulette documenting the large disparities among immigration judge asylum grant rates. While there has been some improvement, the BIA, the only body that can effectively establish and enforce due process in the immigration court system, has not adequately addressed the situation. For example, quote, let's take a brief asylum magical mystery tour down the East Coast. In New York, 84% of the asylum applications are granted. Cross the Hudson River to Newark, and the rate sinks to 48%. Still respectable in light of the 47% national average, but inexplicably 36% lower than New York. Move over to the Elizabeth Detention Center, also in New Jersey, where you might expect a further reduction, and the grant rate rises to 59%. Get to Baltimore, and the grant rate drops to 43%, but moving a few miles down the, the BW Parkway to Arlington, Still within the Fourth Circuit, it rises to 63%. Then cross the border into North Carolina, still in the Fourth Circuit, and it drops remarkably to 13%. But things could be worse. Travel a little further south to Atlanta, and the grant rate bottoms out at an astounding 2%. Relive. This is a, it's, it's a wonderful talk. Uh, I would encourage it. It's, it's, to me, it's, I think, going to set a milestone uh, for um, us being able to look at 
the immigration system uh, and really understand what's going on here. Uh, he notes this as the conclusion. The notion that the immigration court ref- that immigration court reform must be part of so-called comprehensive immigration reform is simply wrong. The immigration courts can and must be fixed sooner rather than later, regardless of what happens with overall immigration reform. He said this, folks, the U.S. immigration court system is on the verge of collapse and there is every reason to believe that the misguided enforce and detain to the max policies being pursued by this administration will drive the immigration courts over the edge. When that happens, a large chunk of the entire immigration American justice system and the due process guarantees that make America great and different from the rest of the world will go down with it. That's the former chief judge of the Board of Immigration Appeals. It's immigrationcourtside.com. Paul Schmidt, we probably should get Paul on the show one of these days. He's a terrific human being. Uh, and, he, and as an immigration geek, I loved his immigration history as part of this. But I would certainly um, encourage folks to, uh, to take a look at this and to uh, uh, see what's behind all this and how they can uh, um, really um, better understand the nightmare that is our current immigration system. Well, David, that does it for this week on the Immigration Hour. We'll be back next week with more information, and we'll have an update on our Jessica Colotta lawsuit. <coughs> Perhaps we'll get some of our colleagues on air to talk about it. Till then, this is your host, Charles Cook, on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.